It's interesting, when I uh, accepted the invitation to come today, it was part of your 50th anniversary, and it was on my calendar for a long time, and as it got closer, I just got excited, right? Because I was like, I get to go to a place that I love, and to see people I love, and I just am so grateful that you're still sitting in the same seats, most of you, um, and uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, for those of you who I have not met, haven't had the privilege to meet, um, it's just an honor to be uh, here today and to be, uh, have had the privilege uh, in four years of my life, over the 50 years of this church, to have had the privilege of being one of the pastors of this church. I count it an honor and a privilege and a joy. It's interesting, I've been speaking to some of your former pastors in the last few weeks, uh, just by chance. I spoke with Roger Watts and with Sarah McKinley and with Vance Rains. Uh, I didn't catch all of your former pastors, but those were the few. I spoke. And every time we spoke, and it was always about something else we were talking about, we talked about this place. We talked about you. We talked about the power of God in this place. That right here on Sample Road, God planted a church 50 years ago, and God has done incredible things for the last 50 years. And God is doing incredible things right now, and God will do incredible things for 50 more years and beyond to come. Amen? Amen. And so it's just an honor. It's a privilege to be here. It's an honor to see you. And I just want to say to your senior pastor of Dallas, a friend and a colleague, thank you for welcoming me, uh, for making me feel welcome to be here today, for inviting me, and to Pastor Vidalis, to all the, uh, to Pastor Josiah, to the staff who have been so welcoming, and, uh, and all of you, it's just an honor to be here. So thank you for the gift of being with you today. Uh, let's pray together. God, help us to hear a word from you. And help me to get out of the way so that your way might be known and your love proclaimed. We need you, O oh God. And so we pray you would teach us once again what it means to follow you with everything we have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, you know, kids are always learning new things, right? And as a parent, you have to adjust to the new things your kids are interested in, right? And so I travel a lot in my work uh, with Bishop Carter in the Florida Conference. So sometimes while I'm away on a trip, I'll come back and one of the kids have picked up something new. And so recently I came home from a trip uh, overseas and I uh, came home and Jack was playing this. Uh, we gave it to him a few Christmases ago, right? Uh, Rubik's Cube. Uh, he hadn't played with it forever, but somehow, while I was away on a trip, he decided he was going to learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but I didn't know this, that there are actual a World Cube Association, did you know this? Where people compete to see how fast they can solve this. You know the world record for solving a Rubik's Cube is 4.22 seconds, did you know that? Now, Jack's not at a world record yet, Right? I mean, he's 12 now, 7th grade, he's not at a world record, but Jack can solve a Rubik's Cube, which I'm amazed by because every time I try to solve this thing, it's a lesson in futility, right? Every turn I make, every time I try to look at it, I think there is no way I'm ever going to get it to look like it's supposed to look, to have all the colors in the right place. So the other day we were walking along and I was telling Jack about a problem in the world that I see and we were just kind of chatting and he says, you know, Dad, uh, the inventor of Rubik, Erno Rubik, the Hungarian professor who invented the Rubik's Cube, he has some quotes about that. You know, this is your middle school son trying to tell you, you know, here's what I've learned through YouTube, Dad, you know. 
So Erno Rubik, uh, who's a Hungarian professor who invented this Rubik's Cube, he's 75 years old, he's a champion of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, he believes these kinds of puzzles can help people, he says these two things. If you're curious, you'll find the puzzles around you. If you're determined, you will solve them. So Jack was just basically saying to me, Dad, get more determined and you'll solve that problem. And then I said, well, Jack, it's not like a, a Rubik's Cube. I mean, it's, it's bigger than that. It's, it's, it's larger than that. And Jack says, oh, well, you know, Dad, Erno Rubik says. <laughs> the problems of puzzles are very near the problems of life. Anyone else here got any puzzles in their life? You know, things that you're trying to solve, and every time you turn it, it just seems to get messier and nowhere nearer a solution. You know about puzzles, right? The puzzles of how to get over deep and abiding grief from loss. The puzzle of how to uh, raise a child in this day and age, especially a teenager, right? The puzzle of the young adult child who keeps coming back home uh, no matter how many times you try to launch them off into their own reality. Some of you know about the puzzle of caring for an elderly uh, parent or a spouse that you love dearly, the puzzle of health care, right? Not to mention depression, right? Or, or anger or addiction or mental health. I mean, there's so many puzzles in this world, the relationships. I mean, any of you have relationships that seem a little puzzling to you? I mean, you've tried to fix the relationship at work, you've tried to fix the relationship at home, and it just seems like it just keeps getting messier. And not all puzzles are bad, right? I mean, some puzzles are good, like, do I take the next job? Do I move to the next promotion? Or the puzzle of how do I integrate a new thought in my life, a new discipline? And I'm not even mentioning, of course, the puzzles in our world today, right? The puzzle of school violence, once again, this week. The puzzle of a society that seems to be more interested in division than in unity, in a political world where it just seems like every time I turn on the, on the TV, it just feels more messy than it does solved, right? I'm not the only one, right? So what do you do when life feels like every time you turn each way, no matter what, the puzzle just gets more complicated? So we got home after Jack was, you know, waxing poetically about Erno Rubik, and I said, okay, son, show me how to solve it. I mean, I'm really interested now. You got me interested. Show me how to solve it. He goes, it's easy, Dad. It's just an algorithm. <laughs> and he gets out this piece of paper, and he says, you know, if you take this Ortega algorithm and you follow it step by step, and the first thing you do is you get a white cross to appear on the front edge with the colors matching it. And I said to him, whoa, 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 slow down. He said, it's okay, Dad. First things first, twist once, twist again twist again. And he just said, if you follow the steps one by one by one, you can solve a Rubik's Cube. Actually, he said to me, anybody can solve a Rubik's Cube if they just learn the steps. Now, doesn't that sound awful familiar to you? One step at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time, Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. If you don't recognize that, that's the long version of the serenity prayer. 
one day at a time, one moment at a time, one step at a time, determined, resolved to take the next step. I love it, Weems, who is a church consultant, says that leadership is about teaching people how not to think about the next big step to take, but the next faithful step. Just the next faithful step in the journey. Another person that we've been learning from in the Florida Conference from Gil Rindle uh, says that, uh, and you can put this up, language of organizational gap theory. Uh, Gil says our church, all churches, are now in a position in which the distance between our present and our future reality, our preferred future, is so great that you can't get there from here. When the end result is so far from the current practice, leaders have to keep a very clear eye on the ultimate goal of making disciples, but set proximate or next or operational goals necessary to move in the direction of our mission of making disciples. You see what he's saying? You've got to keep the future in mind, but just take the next step. Step. You know, that's what First Church Coral Springs has been doing for 50 years, right? Next step, trustees, fix the fellowship hall, right? You did that this year. Next step, got to make sure people come to the Bethlehem volunteer thing today, right? Next step, got to get a baby for Bethlehem, right? Next step, you see what I'm saying? And little by little, you've been innovating. You've been taking the next step, the next step in the life of your church, our church, this church, God's church, so that you get to the preferred future, which is disciples being made, God being alive and well in this place. Here's what I've come to understand, thanks to this little Rubik's Cube. I want to get to the solution right now. I want all the colors to be on the right size right now. Don't you want that? I want it all to make sense and all to be solved and everything to be done. And yet life is a journey of one step at a time, one moment at a time, taking the next step. So if you want to think about the puzzles in your life, everyone got puzzles? Problems they don't know how to solve? Or if you want to think about the puzzles of your church or the puzzles of this world or the puzzles of the culture around us, I think part of the goal of that is not to think about how do I get it all solved right now, but how do I take the next faithful step? So as I prayed for you, and I've been praying for you regularly, if you don't think I pray, I pray every day for all the people I love and the churches I've served and uh, the God who is at work in our United Methodist Church throughout our Florida conference. I've been praying for you. I've thought, what are some of the next steps? And I'm so grateful that uh, you can go on your website and listen to your last few sermons. Did y'all know you could do this? So the other day I was driving and I pulled up your podcast. First Church has a podcast. If you haven't listened to it, I got to listen to the last two sermons uh, from Pastor Vidalis. I loved listening uh, to the sermons. And two weeks ago, Pastor Vidalis preached on Ephesians chapter 1, if you were here, where she preached about uh, the priority of generosity and how we need to make generosity a priority. And she was preaching about the prayer from Paul out of Ephesians 1. And as I've been praying for you, I remembered that Paul finishes the Ephesians 1 prayer in Ephesians 3. And the middle of Ephesians 2 is all about how Jesus came to save us all and set us free, and he comes back to the prayer. And so I went to Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21, and as I prayed that prayer for you and for our lives and for our church and for our world, I thought this is what gives us some next steps. So if you brought your Bibles, you can open. This is our key text for today. This is Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with the 14th verse. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to Him, now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to God's power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through generation, all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a powerful prayer. Paul prayed it to the church in Ephesus, which was a church was in the middle of trying to figure it all out, and he offered this to them. And so I want to offer to you a few next steps about the puzzles of life from this Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. Notice how he starts the passage. He says, for this reason, I kneel. For this reason, he's pointing you back to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. You can go back and read it later. Ephesians chapter 2 is all about how Jesus has come, uh, died on the cross, was raised up from the dead, which is what we were singing about earlier, this resurrection of our God that teaches us that God is with us. So for this reason, because of what Jesus has done for all of us, Paul says, I kneel. Now, I get stuck at that word kneel because I realize that we are not a kneeling culture, are we? I mean, we don't kneel a lot, do we? And I'm not talking just about physically getting on your knees. I'm saying that in our lives, we tend to want to stand tall rather than kneel. Now, interestingly enough, in the Jewish culture, they did most of the time pray standing up. If you go to the Wailing Wall or other places of prayer, uh, you would stand up. But in certain parts throughout this story of God's love, uh, you find people kneeling especially if they're going to be anointed uh, or kneeling uh, because uh, there's this moment in their life. You know what kneeling does is it reminds you of your utter dependence on God. When you kneel, you are vulnerable, aren't you? When you kneel, uh, you are saying something is bigger than me, something is more important than me, so I need to get on my knees Sometimes when I really want to pray, I get on my knees, partly because uh, it's hard to fall asleep on your knees, right? (laughs) But more importantly, it's because I want to honor the fact that I'm not in control of this situation. Now, I know I'm not the only one here, because I know some of you that like to be in control, right? Anyone else like to be in charge? Come on, now some of you need to elbow the person next to you. Anyone else like to be in charge, like to be in control, like to have things go your way? Anyone like to have things go your way? Yes? We prefer our way. We prefer our preference. We prefer our plan. We prefer our time. We prefer a lot of things. And so to kneel is to say, I submit my will. I submit my plan, I submit my preferences, I submit my spirit, I submit my attitude, I kneel before our God, our Father God, our Creator God, 
who made us. I believe that the first step in your life when you're trying to solve a puzzle that is unsolvable, the first step in our world, the first step as a church is to get back on our knees and remember that we're not in charge, we're not in control, and thank God, God is with us. God, this is not our kingdom, right? We don't live in our kingdom, we live in God's kingdom. We're not king, God's king. And God's kingdom is great, And God is not biting his fingernails, hoping this is all going to work out. God is always with us, always present. And so we can kneel before our Father God. That's step one. Uh, Then Paul goes on to say uh, that you might be strengthened in your inner being. And the next verse, so that Christ may dwell in you. So that Christ may dwell in you. Uh, So what Paul is saying here, the word there for dwell, actually there's two ways to think about it. Uh, The first way to think about dwell is uh, what Paul talks about, a temporary residence. So in the second chapter of Ephesians, he says your residence on earth is temporary. Aren't you glad about that? That this isn't our our longtime home, that it's uh, our residence uh, is in heaven. So that's a temporary residence. That's like the hotel we stay in, right? Temporary. When Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in you, he's using a different word that means take up permanent residence, move in, be fully present, fully available. See, what Paul is praying, not only that you might kneel before the Father, but so that Christ may dwell in you fully and completely. Here's my question to you. Does Christ dwell in you? Does Christ fully live in every nook and cranny of your being? Or are there pieces of your life that need more Jesus? In my own life, I can tell you that there are places in my life where I don't submit to Jesus as much as I should. Because I get to thinking that my way works best and I've got it figured out. And this passage, the next step in the puzzle of your life is so that Christ may dwell in you fully, completely, fill you up to all measure. One of the other things that the kids are into right now, especially Lily Kate, is musical theater. If you follow us, uh, she's been in a bunch of shows. Part of why they're not with me this weekend is she had a rehearsal yesterday. Jack was singing in the youth choir, and it just wasn't going to work out on our schedules. But they were recently, both Jack and Lily Kate, in The Lion King. And so uh, Angela said, since you're not bringing our kids, you better bring a picture, right? So this is Jack and Lily Kate, and, uh, and they're doing well. Uh, Jack was, a, was an elephant in The Lion King, and Lily Kate was a flamingo. Um, and so uh, it was very cute. And I'll be honest with you, um, I love music. I've always loved church music. I love the worship we do. Uh, but I haven't watched a lot of musicals or some, there's whole Disney movies I haven't really paid attention to, right? Um, as a parent, I, I sometimes have gone and I haven't fully got the story. And so I've been really excited about learning musicals. And Lily Kate's teaching me how to watch new musicals, the old musicals, the current musicals, um, all these things. And I'm, I'm loving it. And so just a few weeks ago, they were in The Lion King, and I had uh, been traveling during the week. I came back to make sure I was there for The Lion King. I'm sitting there in the audience, and they're, they're singing this song. And a lot of you know the, knows this song. It's a famous song in The Lion King where uh, he says, He lives in you. He lives in me. He watches over everything we see. Now, Jack and Lily Kate do accuse me that when I go to musicals, I'm always thinking about the next sermon I'm preaching. Uh, (laughs) Might be true. But right there in the middle of that theater, sitting there just like you are, 
as he sang that song with great conviction, this teenage actor who was living into this story, which is a different story and has a different full meaning, I realized, yes, Christ lives in you. Christ lives in me. Christ watches over everything we see into the water, into the truth. Christ is with us all the time. And I thought to myself, I want more of that. I want more of believing that Christ lives in me, Christ lives in you, and Christ is with me all the time. What Paul is praying in this passage is that we kneel before the Father so that the power of Christ may dwell within us completely and fully, take up residence in our being, fill every nook and cranny of our lives. I want more of that, right? But here's the trick. As you think about next steps, if you kneel before the Father, you surrender your life to Christ, so that Christ may dwell in you, the next thing Paul says is together we might know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I love this part of the passage. How wide, how long, how deep, how high is the love of Christ. All the preachers I go hear these days, because I get to sit in a lot of church services and listen to others preach, are talking about God's love, which is powerful. God is love, right? God is love. And we can talk about all this grasp, how wide and long and high and deep, but the key to this next step is if Christ dwells in you fully and completely, that means together and only together with all of God's people can we know how wide and deep and long is the love of Christ. You see, the power of the next step in our lives, the only way we get to a new reality is if we begin actually loving people as Christ loves us. To love your neighbor means to love people beyond your own preference. To love your neighbor in this world, uh, Bishop Carter would tell us, and he's been teaching about this, means we have to love beyond our current categories that the world puts on people. We have to leave and love our enemy and the people we disagree with, the people who we struggle with the most. And what, what Paul is saying is if you believe God's love is long, we, wide, and deep, and high, if you believe that God's love never fails, then that means your love's got to go longer. Your love's got to go deeper. Your love's got to go wider. Think about the person you struggle to love. And it might be someone you know, and it might be someone you don't know, but you see on social media, and they make you mad. This passage, this next step in the world, if we want to find a new reality, if we want to live in the fullness, one of the first things we've got to do is love beyond what we normally think we need to to go the extra 110%, how long, how wide, how deep, how uh, high is this love of Christ? Together we do that. That's what this means. So the first step is to kneel before the Father to believe that Christ dwells in you so that you together might know how long, how wide, how deep is the love of Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, so that you might believe that God is able to do immeasurably more. God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I love this part of the passage because Paul's like tripping over himself trying to help you see it. He's saying he's not just able to do what you can ask. He's able to do more than you can ask. He's able to do more than you can imagine, not just what you can think about, but more than you can imagine. He's able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine through God's power in you. This word immeasurable 
If you listen to Pastor Vidalis' sermon last week, she talked about the woman who poured that oil on Jesus. And the reason that she talked about that was that when you pour something, you don't measure it out. This wasn't uh, a woman who measured the oil and then put it on Jesus. She poured the whole thing. Immeasurable amount, immeasurable uh, value. That's how much God wants to be at work in your life in immeasurable ways. We can measure human stuff. We can't measure God's stuff. And I believe if we want to think about our lives in a new way, if we want to solve the puzzles in our lives, we've got to begin to believe that the next turn, the next faithful step, the next moment that we continue to kneel before our God who dwells in us, whose love is high and wide and deep, begins to get us to the place where we can believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I've seen it. Just this week, just this week in a way that I can't tell you in my own life, and I won't go into the details, we've been turning a puzzle in my life for so long and, a, and something I couldn't figure out and in a way that was unexpected to me, at a time unexpected, from a person unexpected, the next turn, I just thought only God, only God is able to do more than we could ask or imagine, and to take another step towards a different reality. And I know some of you come here and you're thinking, I don't know about that. I just have to tell you, in my own life and in the lives of many other people, I've seen God do things that I could not imagine. And it begins with these next steps of being on our knees, inviting Christ to dwell in us, and teaching us to love deeper, wider, and longer than we are comfortable with. Uh, we were in Northern Ireland recently. If you want to talk about a puzzle that's really hard to solve, go to Northern Ireland. It's a place that has been filled with conflict for a long time. If you've studied the conflict there, uh, we were there to think about peace and reconciliation and what we might learn about peace and reconciliation from that context. It was fabulous to be there, but it was interesting. I mean, you talk about a powerful story of someone, or you're lit, sitting in a room and they say to you, if uh, five years ago, if we'd have been in the same room, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, if we'd have been in the same room, we'd have killed each other. And now they're sitting there presenting to you about peace and reconciliation. Two survivors, people who had lost uh, their own uh, family member in the midst of the troubles, the conflict in Northern Ireland, sitting there telling you about where they have uh, learned in, through the power of God, through the power of grace, uh, to find reconciliation and hope. It was, a, it was just a powerful place to be, a lot of lessons to learn. Well, one night we were at dinner uh, with a woman named Linda, and uh, I was sitting next to her at dinner, and I did what I often do at dinner. I just said, can you tell me your story? And she said, sure. She says, um, I, I grew up in a communist home. I didn't know anything about God. She says, my life was completely chaotic. At the age of 16, I had uh, my first child, and by the age of 30, my life had totally unraveled. And she said, in the midst of that, a friend invited me to come to church for my kid. And so in this little church in Belfast, in the middle of uh, a chaotic life, I came and dropped my child off, and I sat in the back of church. And she said, I had no idea what they were talking about. It didn't make any sense to me but I did like sitting in church. And so I just kept coming back. 
And she said, little by little, and in my mind I'm thinking turn by turn, step by step, Christ moved into her life. And then she looks at me with this little gleam in her eye, and she says, I wrote a poem about it. Can I share it with you? I said, sure. And from memory, this is a picture of Linda. She says, I met a man. He's changed my life. I need to tell you what he's like. He said he loved me, but I had no faith, for I had heard such things before. But this man's different from the rest. This man saved me from myself. Now, the world is full of men who hurt, and I learned early that people are pain. Don't trust, don't trust, protect yourself. But this man, he's like no one else. I met a man, he's changed my life. I met a man named Jesus Christ. And I said to her right after she said that poem, I said, uh, can I have a copy of that? <laughs> so I can read it? So I can tell your story? And she said, you tell it as far as you need to go. So here's what I am trying to say this morning. If you've never met that man, his name is Jesus. He's unlike any other. He wants to move into your life today. But if you've met him before and you've kind of wandered off and you're not so sure about all this, you can meet him again this morning. You can get on your knees right here in this place and say, God, here's my puzzle I don't know how to solve. Here's the world I don't know what to do with. Here's the relationship I'm struggling with. Here's the thing in my life that doesn't make sense anymore. I offer it to you. I surrender it to you. Christ, move in. Take up residence. Dwell in me, O oh Lord. Teach me to love how wide and how deep and how far. Teach me to love much greater than I've ever loved before so that I can believe again, God, that you are able to do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. I don't know about you, but I need more Jesus in my life. And so sometimes I've got to believe that I can't figure out all the steps, but I can take the next faithful one. And maybe the next faithful one for you today, for all of us, is to turn our life and our will, our preferences and our attitudes, our spirits, our puzzles and our problems over to the care of God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. A God who shows up even when we can't see. So I wasn't going to come here just to preach. I'm going to come and just invite you to turn back to God and to prayer this morning. Not just you, but me too. So if you want, this is a powerful place to pray. People have been praying in this church for a long time. Whether in this building or the old building, for 50 years, people have been kneeling and saying, God, I need you. Fill me up. So if you want to come and pray, you don't have to come here. You can pray wherever you want. But I invite you to this time of prayer that we might believe that Christ is able to do immeasurably more. So let's spend this time in prayer. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The altar is open for you to come and pray.